Good morning. (laughs) Our scripture today can be found on page 808 in the Pew Bible. It is from Matthew 26, 31 through 35. Then Jesus said to them, You will all become deserters because of this night, of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Though all become deserters because of you, I will never desert you. Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Miss Marlene. And so begins the most defining three days of Peter's life. Everybody else, Lord, everybody else may turn tail and run, but not me. Not me. Today we continue our study of the life of Peter. And once again, we are going to find that Peter's story is reflective of our own. Peter was both flawed and faithful. Later this same night, after the Last Supper where Peter declared he would never leave Jesus' side, later this same night, Peter would find himself in the courtyard of the high priest's home, warming himself around a fire. His friend Jesus would be inside, undergoing an interrogation, preparing for his trial. And while Peter's standing outside, several different people come up to Peter. Most of you are familiar with this story. They said, uh, hey, don't, don't you know Jesus? No. Are you sure you don't know him? No, I don't know him. I've never met him. Third person came up and said, you sound like you're from the region of Galilee. Didn't I see you with him? Peter says, no. And after Peter denies Christ third, that third time, this is what we read in Luke chapter 22. Look at this. At that moment, while he was still speaking, the cock crowed. Then Peter remembered what Jesus had said before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Two lessons I think we can learn right off the bat from Peter's denial. Here's the first one. Peter followed, then he failed. Peter followed and Peter failed. We've done that too. All of us, at different times and in different ways, in the course of our lives, all of us have denied Jesus. It's been with our thoughts, it's been with our words, it's been with our actions, things we've done or left undone. Like Peter, there have been times in our lives we've all denied Christ. But there's a second lesson, and I don't want us to miss it. After Peter became aware of what he'd done, after this prophecy that Jesus said to him had been fulfilled before the cockroach, you'll deny me three times. The moment Peter realizes what would happen, what had happened, look what comes next in the Bible. And he went out and wept bitterly. Where did he go? He went to weep. 
Peter left to go and mourn his sin. That's an important thing. In fact, this is the place where Peter leaves the story. Peter, Peter wasn't there when Jesus underwent his trial. He wasn't there when his best friend was executed. Peter was nowhere to be found when Joseph of Arimathea took the body of Christ off the cross and buried it hastily in a borrowed grave. Peter wasn't there. Where was he? He was off mourning his sin. Man, I think this is an important lesson for us. Even here in the midst of Peter's denial, his life is instructive for us. I'm all for forgiveness and grace. But I believe that sometimes we as Christians can move too quickly towards forgiveness. I believe sometimes we need to spend a little bit more time doing what Peter did, a little bit more time mourning for our sin. I love the way Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, grace is free, but it's not cheap. Grace is free, but it's not cheap. Peter spent time mourning and contemplating his sin. You know that's why the church for generations has begun the season of Lent with Ash Wednesday. Lent is that season in the church where we all journey with Christ towards the cross. And that season is kicked off by an Ash Wednesday service where we come to worship and people put ashes on our foreheads. The ashes are there to symbolize the sin in our lives. Ash Wednesday is about contemplating our sin. Some churches do Ash Wednesday services in the evening. Ebenezer does that. Other churches do Ash Wednesday service in the morning. So the idea is that you get these ashes put on your forehead. You're supposed to walk around with those all day long, advertising to the world, I'm a sinner! It's an interesting idea. By the way, how many of you uh, ever had the Reverend Mark Montgomery impose ashes on you on Ash Wednesday? Anybody in here? So when I impose ashes on people, it's just I just I make this dainty little cross, right? That's it. You're not dainty, Pastor. I'm not saying I'm dainty. I'm saying the cross that I make in the ashes is dainty. Not Montgomery, boy. That kid went in up to, his, up to his elbow in the ashes, right? It was like this. It was, from the earth you have come, to the earth you shall return. You walk out, people are like, were you in a fire? No, no. Mark Montgomery put ash on me. Oh, okay, okay. The, the point is that there are these seasons in our lives we actually incorporate into the season of the church's life where we are supposed to sit with, we're supposed to mourn our sin. And man, that's really, really important for us to do. Peter's most famous failure was this night. And after it, he went to mourn with his sin for three days. I think we need to pay attention to the implications of our sin too. And it's for two reasons. The first reason we need to mourn our sin is because when we contemplate the damage our sin has done, we're less likely to perpetrate those sins again. Let me give you an example. Let's take something as seemingly innocuous as gossip. Uh, Gossip. Somebody says something about uh, something and I, I don't like it or maybe they offend me and rather than going and talking to that person I go and I talk to somebody else gossip now in Matthew chapter 18 Jesus told us not to do that Jesus said if somebody offends you you need to go and talk to them about it so when when we go and talk to somebody else instead of talking to the person who offended us or bothered us we are violating the command of Jesus we are offending God but that's not all when I perpetrate the sin of gossip, I'm, I'm also hurting other people. I'm hurting the reputation of the person I'm, gossip, person I'm gossiping about. I'm hurting their witness to, Christ, to, to the world for Christ. 
But it's not just that I'm hurting God and I'm hurting somebody else. When I participate in the sin of gossip, I'm also hurting myself. We've probably all been in scenarios where we're surrounded with somebody who thinks it's their job to tell you what's going on in everybody else's life. And I don't know about you, but when I'm in conversations like that, one of the things that goes through my mind is, man, I'm never going to tell this person anything the least bit important because they'll tell everybody else. Here's the point. Even with a sin as seemingly, and I use that word seemingly innocuous as gossip, because it's not innocuous. Even with a sin like that, our sin hurts God, our sin hurts others, our sin hurts us. And we need to contemplate that. Because when we contemplate it, we are less likely to do it again. All right, let me take a poll of the congregation. I'm going to ask you a question I really do want you to answer you know, out loud. Do you agree that our sin can hurt God, hurt others, and hurt us? All right, praise the Lord. Do you also agree, if we paid a little bit more attention to the consequences of our sin, do you agree that we might be less likely to perpetrate those sins again? Do you agree with that? So do I. This past week, my wife, Andy, was uh, in Philadelphia doing some continuing medical education. She was gone the whole week, and so I was a single dad for one week. I just want to say to all the single parents in the room, you're superheroes. And everything went really well. My kids are well-behaved kids. I'm really blessed by them. Everything went really well until Friday morning came. Friday morning, I went to get in the car to take my kids to school, and my seat had been moved. So I turned around to my children. And I said, uh, did one of you move my seat? And they both got that doe-eyed look that kids get when they're getting ready to lie to you. Nah, dad. And I remember being a kid. I remember being a kid. I know sometimes you lie. Sometimes you lie for no reason whatsoever. I don't, I guess I can understand the lying. It was the stupid lying that got me, right? Because I knew, I knew one of them had done it. They got caught red-handed, but they lied to me anyway. Now, I believe when our children uh, perpetrate these mistakes that we as parents need to discipline our children. I believe that that is absolutely true. But here's what I'm here to tell you today. I did not handle that situation well. I blew my top with my kids. I believe they need to discipline, but I didn't handle it well. I blew my top and I spent the rest of the day contemplating that. Not only had I broken my own heart, more importantly, I'd, I'd broken their hearts by the way I spoke to them. And, and one of the things I realized is if I do that over and over and over again, man, it's going to cause my kids to have some complexes. Our sin hurts God. Our sin hurts others. Our sin hurts ourselves. So I want to try something with you. In just a minute, I'm going to put 60 seconds on the clock. And I want to invite you to look back over this past week. And think about a time in your life where you sinned. Maybe you lost your temper at work or with a family member or, or you know, at school. Maybe, maybe you took somebody for granted. Maybe you gossiped. I don't know. Think about just one sin. And then think about this. How did that sin hurt God? How did that sin hurt other people? And how does that sin hurt myself? Now, I promise... After this minute, we're going to move on to grace, okay? But for one minute, let's think about our sin and the consequences of those sins, the way they impacted God, others, and ourselves. 60 seconds on the clock. Here we go.
is it? But here's what I believe is probably true. I believe that if some folks in here took that exercise seriously, my guess is that some of us had a conversation with our God in which we asked God to help us be a little bit better, not commit that sin. When we spend time mourning and reflecting on our sin, not a lot, but when we spend time mourning and reflecting on our sin, it causes us to begin to change our behavior, but that's only one of the two benefits. Here's the second one. The second benefit of understanding my sin and its consequence is that it's only when I have a fair estimation of my sin and its consequence that I begin to understand the depth and beauty of God's true grace, love, and forgiveness in my life. This was the worst night of Peter's life. Peter had made mistakes. We all have. But I want to show you what happens next. This time we're moving over to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. Mary and Mary went to the tomb. It's Sunday morning. They went to the tomb. They found the stone was rolled away. Jesus wasn't there. Here's what we read in Mark 16, verse 5. It says, As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there's the place that they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. Go tell his disciples and Peter. That word and in Greek is the word kai, K-A-I. It can mean and, go tell the disciples and Peter. You know what else it can mean? Especially. Go tell the disciples, especially Peter. Go tell the disciples, make sure you don't forget. Go tell the disciples, especially Peter, that Jesus is going exactly where he told you he would go. Tell them especially Peter. The angel wasn't distancing Peter from the disciples. He was making sure Peter was included. Peter's sin was great. That's why the angel is clear, especially Peter. We've all sinned. And we need to know our sin has hurt God and others and ourselves. We need to spend morning, time mourning that sin. But I believe this with everything inside of me. I believe that if, if you were the only person to ever live, Christ would have gone to the cross anyway. Here's what that means. That means Christ came especially for you. So I want, I want to try something with you. Mark chapter 16, verse 7. Go tell his disciples and Peter he's going ahead of you into Galilee. I, I want you to read that to yourself. But instead of the word Peter, put your name. Go. Tell the disciples, especially Andy. Go. Tell the disciples, especially Alex. Go. Tell the disciples, especially Chelsea. Put your name there. Reflect on that for just a moment because here's the truth. God knows that you've sinned. God knows your shortcomings and your denials and God offers grace especially to you. I'm going to pause in this moment in the context of this sermon and I want to invite us to pray together. All of us have denied Christ but God looks at us in the midst of our sin and says my grace is sufficient And my salvation, which was meant for all the world, is meant especially for you. Would you pray with me? 
Lord God, we confess that we have sinned. You call us to love you and love others and love ourselves, but our sin hurts you and hurts others and hurts ourselves. And so you went to the cross. Thank you. Even though we had no claim on your grace, you offered it in abundance, though it cost you everything. Help us this day once more to accept your true and perfect forgiveness offered especially for us. Help us to repair the relationships we've hurt with our sin. Set us free, O God, from what has been. Set us free from what in you shall be. In the name and to the glory of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. In our last couple of moments, I just want to look at the final act of Peter's story in the Gospels with Jesus. Peter's story ends much the same way as it began. Two weeks ago, we talked about the call Jesus placed on Peter's life next to the Sea of Galilee. Jesus calls Peter again after his death and resurrection by the Sea of Galilee. Now, what's so interesting about these stories is how similar they are. In both cases, the first time Jesus called Peter and then after the resurrection, when Jesus called again, in both cases, Jesus' call is exactly the same. They'd been fishing all night. They caught nothing. Jesus said, throw down your nets, and they caught a windfall of fish. Both times, Jesus acts exactly the same. What changes is Peter's response. You see, the first time that Jesus called Peter... After Jesus called Peter, after they caught the fish, Peter made sure that that he secured his boat and the fish and the nets. And then Peter went and followed Jesus. But the second time Jesus calls Peter, Peter says, forget about the boat. Forget about the fish. Forget about the nets. And he jumps out of the boat into the water. All he needed All he needed was Christ. He finally understood. Look with me at John chapter 21, beginning in verse 9. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. You see that word charcoal? It occurs two times in the Gospels. Only two times in the Gospels. It's the Greek word anthracian. It occurs once here at the reinstatement of Peter. You know the one other place it is in the Gospels? You remember Peter was standing outside the home of the high priest on the night Jesus was taken into custody. What was he doing? Anybody remember? He was warming himself by a fire. Guess what kind of fire it was? An Anthracian fire. That morning on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus had recreated the scene. The same scene where Peter had denied Christ. And here's what you could say. You could say, man, that was kind of a jerk thing to do. Reminding this guy of of his failure? But Jesus was not being passive-aggressive, church. Jesus was being crystal clear. Jesus was saying to Peter, I know you sinned. And not only do I forgive you, I have a job for you to do. Look what comes in verse 15. 
When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? The fish, the boats, the nets, the other disciples, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. It was the humble answer of a humbled man. I shared this a couple of years ago. I want to revisit it quickly, but it, it reads differently in English than this would if we were reading it in Greek. Here's how it sounds in English. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he'd asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. That's how it sounds in English. It sounds like Jesus is saying, do you love me? And Peter's saying, yeah, I love you. But there was more going on. See, this is Jesus reinstating Peter to be the rock. And what Jesus says to Peter the first time, he says, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? You remember that word, right? Agape. That's perfect love. It's, it's perfect love. First Corinthians 13 kind of love. It's that love that never fails. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me with perfect love? You know what Peter says? Nope. Jesus said, do you love me with agape love? Peter said, I love you with phileo love. Now phileo love is the, it's the brotherly love, right? It's, it's beautiful love, but it's not perfect. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me perfectly? And Peter says, no, but I love you. And Jesus says, it's good enough. Feed my sheep. Jesus asked him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape, do you love me perfectly? Peter says, no, but I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Third time, Jesus changes things a little bit. The third time, Jesus says, do you phileo me? Do you love me at all? Even with an imperfect love, do you love me? That's why Peter was offended. Of course, I've been saying it over and over again. Of course, I love you. My love's not perfect, but of course, I love you. And Jesus said, if that's true, take care of my sheep. Jesus knew Peter was flawed. It didn't change the call Christ put on his life. Jesus knew Peter was flawed and he called Peter to, to feed the sheep. And he calls us to do the same. Yesterday I had a chance to bear witness as one of our amazing young people was awarded an Eagle Scout. He's actually in the room here today. Think about all the people that invested in that remarkable young man to get him to that place, feeding the sheep. My son, he's playing flag football this year. It is the most adorable thing you've ever seen in your entire life. I'm so grateful for the coaches that aren't worried about winning and losing. They're worried about helping these kids learn and have fun. It's feeding the sheep. Man, it's feeding the sheep. We had a chance to volunteer in my, my kids' classroom this week at school, and I was surrounded by all these other parents who were there volunteering to try and teach kids how to build robots out of Legos in second grade. They were building robots that actually moved... And I was thinking about this sermon. I was thinking, this is feeding the sheep. Jesus calls us to feed the sheep. The point of Peter's story wasn't to get him to the place that he loved perfectly. The point of Peter's story was to get him to the place that he would serve humbly. And just like Peter, all of us have denied Christ. All of us have perpetrated hurt. And there's a time we need to mourn our sin. But we also need to hear God's response to that sin. Go, tell my disciples, and especially that one. Especially that one.
Like Peter, we have all sinned. And like Peter, if we have accepted Christ, we have all been forgiven. And just like Peter, God calls us to serve and feed the sheep. You could say it this way. Jesus Christ's love for us was demonstrated on the cross. Our love for him is demonstrated when we feed his sheep. Last thought. One final thought. Every one of the Gospels, all four of them was written, were written after Peter died. Peter was already dead by the time the first Gospel of Mark was composed. And, uh, and I find that to be a little bit interesting. Because you, you would think that when the Gospel writers wrote the Gospels, Peter was really an important person in the early story. You would think that maybe they'd gloss over this part of the story. Maybe they'd leave out his denial. But none of them did. Every, every one of those four Gospels, every one of them told the story about Peter turning his back on Jesus that night. And you could say, why? Well, I have a theory. I think the reason that all four Gospels included the story of Peter's denial is because Peter himself absolutely would not shut up about it. I think every time Peter went and preached to a group of people, I think Peter told the story. In which he said, you think you've made mistakes? I was there on that night, my friend's most gracious, my most gracious friend, his hour of need, and I walked away. And still, still, he called me to feed a sheep. He can forgive you. Just like he did me, and he can use your life to do great things. Peter was flawed, but he was faithful, and so are we. We can make all all kinds of excuses. I've sinned too much, I lack talent, I don't have the time. But all of that is smoke and mirrors, because right now, in this moment, it's you and Jesus, and he's asking, do you love me? And maybe your answer is like Peter, and you say, not perfectly, but yes, yes, I do. And Jesus says, if that is true, feed my sheep. Let us pray. Holy God, we give you thanks for Peter's story. We give you thanks for the way that you call all of us into your marvelous light. Yes, we have sinned and we're aware of our sins. Help us, O God, to stop sinning. But we give you thanks this day for your grace. Your grace that is so much more than our sin. And we ask, oh God, that as you call us yet again, maybe the same exact call that you've been using for years, help us to have the humility to jump out of the boat to follow exactly where you would have us to go. Help us to feed your sheep, O God. And in so doing, demonstrate our love for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.